with us tonight. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, you're, uh, you encourage us by being here, and we hope that it is encouragement for you to be here. If you will, open your Bibles to John the 8th chapter. John the 8th chapter. We're going to pick out a, a point that we've been making in previous lessons, but yet we haven't had time to develop them, this point in those lessons. And so we'll take time tonight to develop the importance of, of uh, just banning the misbeliefs in our life and the consequences that it has if we choose to believe a lie. It is exciting to be a part of the My Julia Church of Christ. God has blessed us so richly, and let's make sure that before we pillow our head tonight that we fervently thank God uh, for all of His blessings of the day. Uh, we rejoice with the Zumbros today, and as they had a baby uh, shower and the generosity that was poured out there, and we uh, pray for the, the uh, safe delivery of that baby and, and rejoice in the growth of their family. It's great to have... Kevin on board uh, with us for the summer. Look so forward to this. I haven't really thought through this very carefully, so bear with me. We might should warn Kevin that you do not come to Mount Juliet and leave the saint. Now, if I remember correctly, three years ago, Andrew came here to work for the summer, and now he lives here and works here. Two years ago, Brian came and worked with us, and in a few weeks, he'll stand right here and marry a Mount Juliet girl. And then last year, Jonathan came and worked here, and we were able to get him on just right up the road in Lebanon, and he'll be moving and, and working full-time in Lebanon in, in just a, a few weeks. And so uh, we're glad to have you and just let you know that this is now home. Uh, no matter where you roam, this is now home, and we're glad to have you. It's exciting to have the group coming back devotional, understand the preteen retreat, understand that that was a wonderful retreat. We appreciate each of you leaders that took part and made that available for our young people. We know that you sacrificed a lot of time, and we appreciate that. Uh, it's exciting to hear the just really high-energy report that the folks coming back from Georgia as they talk about our stateside mission trip. I am really getting excited about this. Let's make sure that all of us do our part, and one thing that we must be doing right now. It's very fervent in prayer uh, for us to be the ones that can plant and water and, and let's watch God give the increase. Let's do our part though. The little girl was walking along uh, during a storm and her mother went out driving for her realizing that she was walking home in this storm and when her mother pictured her coming down the road, noticed her coming down the road, what she saw the little girl doing walking in the thunderstorm was every time there was a crack of thunder and lightning she'd stop and look up and smile real big and she'd walk on and there's a crack of lightning and a thunder and she would stop and she'd look up and smile and she got to the car and her mother said, what in the world were you doing? She said, mama, I think God is taking pictures of me. Now, we understand that that's a misbelief. That's a misunderstanding. And perhaps there's not serious consequences with that misunderstanding. But tonight, please think deeply about what happens in our life when we have a misunderstanding about something God has spoken about. It's nothing to take lightly. The truth is the way you and I grow spiritually is by identifying misbeliefs that we have formed in our life and that we're living out. Now keep in mind, we're tying together as if they're the same, a belief and our conduct. In other words, if I have a belief and I'm living that out, because the truth is that's all we live out is what we truly believe. And so if I have a belief that I'm living out in my life, but yet it's a misbelief, I may have been convinced this is what God wants me to do. And actually, God is saying, no, that's not at all what I want you to do. 
affects our life. And not only that, oftentimes it affects our relationships here on this earth. It definitely affects our relationship with God. But oftentimes relationships on this earth. We won't have time tonight to go in depth about men and women in great depth, but we'll try to hit on some points to at least lay the groundwork that, that will help us to be able to think in our own life and we can make the own application. Briefly, let's read John the 8th chapter and let's see an example of this in the Scriptures. John the 8th verse 31. Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, If you abide in My Word, you are My disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered Him, Abraham's descendants, and have never how can you say? Jesus answered, commits sin is a slave forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son free indeed. First, we think about what is truth. same thing. And isn't it interesting that he says, I want you to abide in truth. We understand what abide means, but if you can think about a relative that you really don't enjoy being around, and imagine that relative decided to abide here for the next few years. You'll really... We think about, well, Lord, where do you want us to buy, to dwell? Where do you want us our living place. And, and this, that is, the truth shall set you free. Between these two, we see that he answered in verse 34 and following that it's free from the bond. in the truth, and it sets us free from bondage. Live in lies, to live in misbelief. And therefore, that makes us people that commit... We're abiding... Jesus Christ, because we've submitted our life, we cannot be free. What's the of that bondage? Let's read verse 44. And go back and read even the verses that were passing. Notice verse 44. Your father, the devil... And the desires of your father you want. You remember this morning when we studied and we talked about that Satan, he tricks us through deceitful lust. Lust is sinful desire. Satan desires for us to commit sin. But the way he convinces us to commit that sin is through deceit. 
so that we will have the same desires of Satan, but he will lead us to believe that that desire is really from God. In other words, it's deceitful lust. So let's finish here, verse 44. You're of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. So someone decides to dwell in sin, to abide in sin, the bondage of sin. Who's their father? Satan. Who do they listen to? Satan. What does Satan say? Only lies. And when we think Satan is telling us the truth, it's only through deception that we believe that lie. Now, let's drop back to verse 33 and see an illustration of where someone misbelieved. In other words, they had a belief in their life that was as wrong as the day is long, but yet they honestly thought that what they believed was true. Did you notice we just read it back in 33 where this individual, Jesus is talking to them about being free, and they said, free? We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. Believe someone state that lie? Now, they bondage? They spent four is he thinks he's stating something that's true. How can someone... ...and feel so... It's so important for us to know what the Lord says on everything. Now, for the last couple of weeks, relationship, and the second point that we made last week, we made of faithfulness. And let's go to the next slide. Notice what. Under this, this title of faithfulness, he says, Choices are made based on what we believe. Your spouse. You treat your spouse based upon what you believe. If you're a parent, how do you interact with You interact with them based upon what you believe. If you're a child, how do you interact with your parents? You know, are you respectful or are you disrespectful? You interact based upon what you believe. So it's so important that we believe the right thing because if we believe the wrong thing, our conduct could never be right. And so we think about our relationship in Christ and in the family of God. How do we treat each other? If we have a misbelief about how God would have us to treat each other, we can't treat each other right. If we have a misunderstanding, a misbelief about the doctrine of the church, we can't live out the truth. 
And so the misbelief becomes a proper application to make in every aspect of our life. But just for a few minutes to tie back into the lessons on Sunday morning, let's think about earthly relationships and and the of misbelief. Now when we talk about uh, men, let's look at the slide that deals with men. And we looked on Sunday mornings, we've been looking at Ephesians 4 and 22, and we've been looking at John 8. Both of the slides that dealt with men and with women, we really have been driving home is the priority in our life cannot be happiness. Things will not go as they should in our life and in our homes if we think that the highest priority is happiness. After Sunday morning's lesson a week ago, one of our uh, older members walked out of the door, and I thought it was most interesting what they said. They said, I spent most of my life believing that happiness was my priority and made a lot of mistakes along the way. I'm sure many of us could say that we have made mistakes in our life because we thought that it was the proper What would make my family happy? I'm in a dilemma right now with my children. What would make them happy? I'm in a dilemma at work. What decision am I going to make based upon this relationship at work? I'm going to do what would make them happy. What would make my employer happy? What would make my neighbor happy? And what we find out after we do that for a few years is we look back and we say, you know, this just isn't working. I keep finding myself in deeper problems. I keep finding myself... And oftentimes what we find out is confused because we really think, now this goes back to misbelief, we really think we're making the right decisions and we can't figure out why the results are hurting us and the people in our lives. Now this is going to sound like I'm making light of it for just a moment. And no matter where you are in life, take this illustration and just use it wherever you are in life. I'd like to talk just a moment for parents that have children. And just to illustrate whether or not happiness or holiness ought to be the priority in our life. Mother is in the kitchen and she is cooking. She has uh, mashed potatoes stirring around there and she has some beans going and she's flipping some meat back and forth and she has rolls in the oven and little Johnny comes around and running around the corner, Mama, Mama, I want something to eat. It'll be 20 minutes, but I tell you what, to make the time pass faster, why don't you go ahead and start setting the table and just wait for 20 minutes. Uh, 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 no, I, I'm just going to go back and watch TV. He's around the corner. Mom's sitting here stirring all this thing. She says, man, it sure would make him happier if I just ignore that he disobeyed me. And since I'm doing all this work right here, it sure make me happy if I just ignored that he disobeyed me. I'm just going to ignore that he disobeyed me. A few minutes, Johnny comes whipping around the corner again. This time there's more of a whine in his voice. Mom, 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 I'm starving to death here. I've told you already. You're not going to get anything to eat until it's supper time. Now get out of here. And see, she was pretty clever. She ignored the fact that she had already told him to do something. But you see, she wanted happiness. I don't want to stir that up tonight. I just want everybody to be happy. Phone rings. She's on the phone. Here he comes back in three or four more minutes, and this time he's really got it down. Whiniest as he can be. I want something to eat. She, shh. She's on the phone. She, 
she's all trying to stir, trying to flip, trying to keep everything going, and he's just whining, whining, whining. She says, listen here. She takes a little Debbie. You take that and you get out of here. Now what do you Just as much as him and sat down. I want to teach you an important lesson. If you want to disobey me, you always find the time that I'm busy. And you can disobey me any time that I'm busy. And secondly, if you really want something, don't stop asking. And every time you ask, be a little more whiny. And when you get to your whiniest point, I'll give you what you want. Now, that's what she taught that child. The truth is, children do not teach themselves to whine. Parents searching for happiness teach their children to whine without exception. You can take any child that has a problem with whining and place them in another home where parents go for holiness instead of happiness, and it won't be but a matter of a few weeks and that child will stop whining. Whining is a condition of parents where investing a few weeks and a few months of saying holiness Doing what is right and best at the moment, no matter what it takes, is our objective. It's our goal. We owe it to our children. What is that going to do down the road? A kid that comes flying in and finally walks away with his little Debbie and never sets the table. Can you make a guess of how tomorrow night's going to be? And the next night? And the next night. Those are the parents that you see after a few years and they're worn out. They're throwing their hands up. I don't know what to do with these kids. I'm to invest in the child, even while the child's young. To teach the child in this family is for us to do what's right. You ever seen a family... Happiness or holiness? Making everybody happy at the moment or saying the standard in this house is going to be what is right? Bottom line. As we think about the second thing on the screen here, we see real men don't communicate their feelings. They don't, they don't communicate. They don't feel well. They don't admit error. Also, as we think about Men enforce submission through physical strength. Turn with me, Will, to First Peter the third chapter and verse seven. Let's see another misbelief right here. Another misbelief. We have two that we can develop from this one verse. First is the idea where people honestly say, "You know, it's just a man thing. We're we're just not very good communicators." So, if we believe that. Can we get by in life without hurting anyone? No. Because the Lord doesn't accept that. The Lord doesn't say, I created man 
so that it is impossible for them to communicate. Instead, the Lord said, well, here's what He said. 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell, speaking to the, about the wives here, dwell with them, dwell with your wives, with understanding. Dwell. Live at home. Not just pass through home. Home. It's your home. You're dwelling there. Dwell with the people of that home. How? With understanding. Now, that ought to make all of us men shaking our shoes. The idea we're supposed to understand our wife, that's not easy, is it? But we ought to give our best at it. How can you understand someone if you refuse to communicate with them? You see, the misbelief is, well, that's the way men are. God says, no. I want you not only to communicate with them, I want you to be successful. I want you to understand your wife. What would happen right now if every man got out a piece of paper and every wife got out a piece of paper and we started asking you questions about your wife? What's her greatest fear? What's her greatest challenge spiritually? What's her, the thing that you do in your life that she wants you to continue doing? What's the thing that you do in your life that she hopes you'll stop doing? How well do you know your wife? Now, keep in mind this morning, responsibility, headship. Husbands are to lead their families to God. How can we lead someone that we do not know? We can't. And that's why God, when He says, I want the men to be heads of the home, that He turns around and commands them, you dwell with them according to knowledge. We have to know the people we're leading. The same principle is true for our children. How can we lead our children if we do not know them? Do we know our children's friends? Do we know our children's fears? Do we know our children's strengths and our children's weaknesses? Are we willing to invest our life and their life to help them become what God would want them to be? If we say, yes, I'm willing to do that, we need to realize one of the big yeses that we're saying yes to is to say, I'm willing to communicate. Well, I don't know. I just come in from work and I'm tired of talking all day. I I just don't want to talk. Big deal. Grow up. As Jesus said to Job, stand up like a man. It's time to take responsibility of your life and of your family. And what does God call us men to do? God says, I want you to communicate. I want you to communicate until you know them, until you understand them. Now, notice this other thing ties in to submission to the wife. I don't think it's often, but every now and then you run into a man that thinks that the reason God made them stronger and bigger is so that they can make their wife submit. That's why we have a lot of domestic violence in the world today. But we need to understand that's a misbelief. As a matter of fact, let's read the rest of 1 Peter 3 and 7 and see what God says about being the stronger vessel. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor, not abuse, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. What's the message here? Is the wife going to be the weaker vessel? Yes, the average woman will always be weaker than the average man. So what's the point here, Lord? We read in Proverbs of children receiving spankings, don't we? What do you read in the Bible of a man raising his hand against his wife? 
Where do you read in the Bible of a man disciplining his wife? We don't. 1 Corinthians 7, we read about a man that's a faithful believer and his wife isn't. It doesn't say that he disciplines her, that he corrects her. What woman is to submit to her husband? A woman that is a child of God. What if she doesn't? There's nothing the man can do. Sometime when it's a more intimate conversation, and I'm speaking with a man that's having a problem with this, I say to him, I want to challenge you to imagine your wife being about 6'8", weighing 300 pounds, and being the, the biggest, meanest person you can imagine. And next time you're tempted to put your finger in her face and tell her, threatening her, trying to bring fear in her to do what you want her to do, next time you're tempted to shove her or to strike her, you're just imagining her being a lot bigger than you. And decide then, how will you interact? God made the man stronger so he could protect her. Something is badly wrong in a home whenever the strongest member of the family brings fear to the other family members. I want to challenge you if that's a problem in your home to realize wives and kids, it's not supposed to be that way and you need to seek help before it goes too far. And if you're a husband and a father, I want to challenge you to understand that that is a misbelief that has destroyed a lot of good relationships. And there's help. And I encourage you to seek that help. The submission comes by the woman being a child of God, not by you being such a strong and powerful individual. Now let's notice another misbelief here. And in 5 and 6 here, we see these two are similar that men are to find their identity in their careers and that, they're, that workaholics are honorable. When we look at 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, we see a picture beginning at verse 12 of the day of judgment. And he says, beginning in verse 12, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work, you see, that's what those things represent. Each person's work will become clear. For the day will declare it... Be- because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet so as through fire. Isn't this interesting? He's talking about a vision of the day of judgment where the ones that he's talking about here, they're both saved. But he says, there's going to be some people that much of the works that they invested in upon this earth, they invested things that contributed to spiritual successes in their lives and the lives of others. In other words, if we put gold through fire, it's simply refined. If we put hay through fire, it's burned up. And so when we say, well, somebody's more honorable when they're a workaholic, somebody's more honorable because they're such a busy family, no, the honor depends on what the priority is. Matthew 6 and 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and His righteousness. We can be busy in things that are righteous, and that is fine, that is well, that is good, because on the day of judgment, they will only be refined in the fire. But you know, we can be busy in things that on the day of judgment, it's not that they're sin, but it's just that they had no spiritual value. 
and those things will be consumed. So it's a misbelief to say that as long as I keep my family busy, I'm doing the right thing. No, the best thing is to make sure that our priorities are right and that we're active in our life and the things that will come through the fire. Now let's note quickly some things as we look at misbeliefs of women. And several of these points that we developed here we'll simply make as applications there as we go to the next slide. The application as to women, point number one, that priority is their happiness. Uh, we've already discussed that point. The second thing is the busiest are the best. We just discussed that point. The third thing, the submissive are weak. Now in the world, that's a belief. But when we go to 1 Peter, the third chapter we see that that's not the case. In 1 Peter, the third chapter, we see that the submissive have an opportunity to win their husbands to Christ. Now, that's if they're a non-believer. What do you think it's going to do for a husband that's already is a believer? It ought to be a great encouragement to them. Here's how the passage goes. 1 Peter 3, verse 1 and 2. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, that's some husbands do not obey a word, they without a word may be won. In other words, not because the wife is nagging them, by, but yet by the conduct of their wife, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Now I want to quickly point out to you, linking these two verses together. Colossians, the third chapter, and verse 18. Listen to this verse and see why women submit. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Why does a godly woman submit to her husband? Because she's godly. That is the will of God, as is fitting in the Lord. Because of our beliefs, we make decisions. If we want to make an empowering decision, a decision that empowers us, we have to make decisions based on God's will. For a woman to decide to be submissive to her husband is a decision that empowers her. Not because of who her husband is, but because of who her Father in heaven is. Let's close by mentioning this last, if you will be turning to 1 Timothy, the second chapter, and that is the immodest are attractive. Any woman needs to stop and ask herself if she falls for this misbelief, attractive to whom? To the Father in heaven? And if the answer to that is no, that means it's a misbelief. And therefore, the truth would be that there's not an attraction either to those that are godly. 1 Timothy, the second chapter, we begin reading in verse 9. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. So immediately we know what's God's will. God's will is modest apparel. Then he takes it to the heart. With propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. The King James would say shamefacedness. Here, propriety, propriety. And it has to do with an inner grace that recalls from that which is evil. Immodesty is when a heart doesn't recall from what is evil. In other words, a woman goes shopping. Going around the rack, she holds something up, she says, I have to draw away from that. I'm a Christian. She goes to another rack. Holds up something that's modest. It's attractive to her. She believes it's attractive to her God and she purchases it. Sobriety is the clear thinking, thinking by the will of God. 
shamefacedness is what pulls women away from that which is immodest. You see, modesty is not an issue of the outside as much as it is of the heart. Immodesty or modesty is a result of the heart. When the heart is pure, modesty is the result. When the heart is not drawing toward that which is righteousness, immodesty is the result. So then when we take this around to the misbelief and we say, well, all I know is that all the attractive clothes are immodest. Think about that statement. All the attractive clothes are immodest? That's a misbelief. Because God would never look down at an immodest garment and say, that's attractive. And so therefore, godly people would never look at an immodest garment and say, that's attractive. And the list could go on and on of misbeliefs. The point tonight was not nearly as much as identifying these particular misbeliefs, but just saying, look at the problems that happen whenever we in our lives believe a lie. And so we say, well, I don't want to believe a lie. As a matter of fact, in Thessalonians, he's talked about believing uh, strong delusions because we believed a lie instead of the truth. And the only way that we can avoid these delusions, being fooled, being uh, deceitfully Uh, falling into lust. The only way we can avoid that is to abide in truth. We need to know the truth, make a commitment to live there. Being willing to say, I'm not perfect. I have things to learn and to have improvements to make in my life. That's a part of spiritual growth. Tonight, I hope every one of us can leave here saying, I have some improvements to make. And here's where we find what those improvements should be. Tonight, if you've been believing a misbelief that says, I want to be baptized in Christ, but right now is not the time. If you're willing to repent of sins and you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you're willing to confess that before man, tonight is the time. It's a misbelief to say later, The right thing to do is say today is the day of salvation, as the Scripture says. If you have been baptized into Christ, but somewhere along the way you've lost focus, tonight is the time to say, I want to repent of that. I want to confess sin and pray forgiveness. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.